I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid. I'm Davis Maddox, joined by Christopher Pacheco and Ricky Sanders. Uh, we were so enamored with the NFL draft this week, running through our dynasty drafts, running through some of the fallout, some of the big storylines of the NFL draft. We, uh, we, we just skipped over the last dance. We skipped over episodes three and four of the last dance. Uh, you know, we, we are all sitting there on our couches watching on Sunday night. Um, you know, I, I thought the episodes were great. They were the Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson episodes. I would imagine that's, you know, so we're sitting here much later on in the week. I would imagine most of you have had a chance to stream and catch up with the episodes. Uh, Ricky, what was your, what was your viewing experience like for the Rodman and Phil Jackson episodes? Did you, did you enjoy them? Oh, very much so. I think the Rodman one was my favorite one so far. I mean, he was just such a unique character. And I was like 10 years old when all this was going on. So I don't really remember. I remember the Dennis Rodman hairs and playing video games and loving the fact that like it would change each game. Um, But I don't remember a bunch of the context surrounding Dennis Rodman. Like he took the 48 hours off to go to Vegas and Michael Jordan had to go like pull him out of bed to get him back. I mean, there were just so many things about Dennis Rodman that were crazy, beginning with his days in the Pistons. Like, I can't believe he was a member of the Spurs. I had totally forgotten about that. Like, can you imagine a player as out there as that playing for the Spurs these days? It's like Pop won't even stand for Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, needing a few days off here and there. Can you imagine Dennis Rodman just being like, actually, I'm going to Vegas. Sorry, Pop. And like sitting a game out. Uh, there would be havoc in that organization. So De- Dennis Rodman, just such an intriguing character. 
you get into his persona, just what he would choose to wear and felt comfortable wearing. You kind of admire it. Uh, like I was talking to you before the pod, I think it was yesterday, saying that like if I put on like a plaid shirt, I look in the mirror and think like, are my friends going to say something about this? Like, is this going to look weird on me? And Rodman just wore whatever the hell he wanted. So I admire someone who just feels comfortable in their own skin. And that's before we even talk about his unique basketball skill set, which we have to get into. Yeah, Pacheco, uh, did you did you enjoy the episodes? It seems like most people want to talk about the. Uh, it seems like most people want to talk about the Rodman episode. That uh, that was that was the one that really stuck with people. Uh, did you did you enjoy that one? Uh, what was your what was your viewing experience like? Yeah, there, there hasn't been one episode uh, that I haven't enjoyed uh, thus far. They've done such a such a great job um, with the Last Dance, and of course the Dennis Rodman one. Uh, was my favorite uh, at this point. Uh, you know, obviously he was a very different character, um, but from a basketball standpoint, it's just still unbelievable to me that a guy that short and, you know, relative to uh, the other big man in the league, he was 6'7", or at least it's listed as a 6'7 uh, player uh, as far as his height, his height, and he led the league seven years uh, and rebounding, and his highest was nearly 19 rebounds per game. I mean, it's just they don't make him like Dennis Rodman anymore. And it's not just the rebounding. It was also his incredible defense. He could guard, you know, one through five, um, and, and that really made him stand out. It's it's what Draymond Green wishes uh, he was, and, and it, you know, it just made it really – it was really awesome uh, seeing that on the big screen. I mean, the, the Dennis Rodman story, the, these these do not exist today for a number of reasons. First, he was a 25-year-old who was playing at Southeastern Oklahoma State, which is an NAIA school. So <laughs> right away, right there, guys from NAIA schools not going in the, uh, you know, just not going to be selected in the, in the NBA draft. Uh, guys like that probably aren't even going to be selected in the EuroLeague draft. Like, those guys just don't really have uh, a future in the NBA. 25-year-olds uh, generally in college do not go on to play in the NBA. And then you go on even further than that, uh, guys who are problem guys, and I mean not problem guys, but guys who are not harmonious locker room assets a lot of the times just get shoved out of whatever team they're on really early we've seen extreme examples of this you know d'angelo russell getting traded away from the lakers for less than he's worth but then also like dwight howard who's like not a bad person he's just annoying no one wants to be around dwight howard and dwight i mean dwight was an amazing player who was still really good when he was playing for the lakers but he just was so annoying no one wanted to deal with him same was true when he played for the Rockets. He was really good, and James Harden and the Rockets gave up on him. So I think that his career is is really, really atypical. This is a, a great stat that was on during the broadcast, Pacheco, and, and I, I checked it on Basketball Reference. It is true. Um, Dennis Rodman has seven games in his career with mm -hmm. 20 rebounds or more and zero points. Right. So all he was doing was getting rebounds. That's all he wanted to do. That was his only job on the floor. No one else in NBA history has more than two. Like, that is how unique of a talent he was. Because you think about some of the other great rebounders. We got Shaq. We have Kareem. We have Wilt. Yeah. You know, all those guys, they were scorers, too. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, Rodman, Rodman just never cared about scoring points. And he, and he didn't need to. You know, basketball was so different 
uh, back in the day, especially with, with the Chicago Bulls team, uh, you had roles. And Rodman's role was clearly, you know, defense uh, and rebounding. And he played his role better than pretty much anyone. You know, would a player like that be be able to do that in the NBA now? Um, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to see a guy that, that just won't score be in the NBA nowadays. But someone like the Houston Rockets, which I know, uh, I know Ricky had flirted with that that idea before. That's the guy that they would want uh, playing the five. And, you know, they have someone like PJ Tucker playing the five who can shoot threes. And you know, uh, but PJ Tucker's not Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman is a, a Hall of Fame caliber type of defender and, and rebounder, and that's what you know really set him uh, separated him from other players around the league. For sure. So I'm, I'm sitting here looking at Dennis Rodman's basketball reference page. Ricky, if you had to guess, how many seasons do you believe that he averaged double-digit points? Not not per, thir- not per 36 minutes, just, just outright average double-digit points. So over 10. Oh, I tweeted this the other day. Zero. None. No, he, he, had, he had one. Mm-hmm. 1987-88. Oh, okay. 80, uh, so he only started 32 games. Uh, he averaged 11 points and 8.7 right. rebounds. This was his second year in the NBA. Right. Um, I, I'm guessing that he just must have ran hot on like putbacks or something that year. Or maybe he uh, shot. No, I was thinking maybe he shot really high percentage on his free throws. He, he must have just gotten lucky that year. I honestly, he just got lucky. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now. It was early in his career before he was the true Dennis Rodman that we knew who was just banging the boards. Uh, and it looks like that was the year he averaged the most shot attempts in his career. So yeah. uh, he was he was not a guy that was just completely useless, useless offensively early. I think they thought they could maybe, you know, develop in him into, you know, a below average offensive player, but someone who could at least be on the floor and be counted on to take some shots. And as his career went on, he just wasn't needed for such things. Uh, so I think that's, that's probably what happened with Rodman. But yeah, after, after 87, 88, zero years of double digit points. And to Pacheco's point, like one of my favorite arguments probably my favorite argument the last few weeks on Twitter has been where Dennis Rodman would fit in the NBA today and specifically how he would fit on a team like Houston. Like you look at these Dennis Rodman numbers and people are going to say like he ruins spacing uh, because that was the argument with Clint Capella on this Rockets team, right? It's like you just threw him lobs. He, He did nothing. But Rodman, A, was a great passer i mean he averaged over three assists one year he was mostly over two assists where like clint capella has been under one and number two dennis rodman averaged 6.4 offensive rebounds in a single season so you've got this team launching threes and dennis rodman in the documentary talked about how he studied angles i mean what better team to be studying studying angles on offensive rebounds than with this houston team like you look at 6.4 rebounds for dennis rodman at 6 7 210 which is just insane by the way i weigh more than 210 pounds i wonder if pacheco does as well uh brooke lopez is a guy who's seven feet he's averaged over 6.4 rebounds well let's put it this way his career average is 6.4 rebounds per game Dennis Rodman did that on the offensive rebound, the offensive glass one year. So if you tell me he would not be a fit over Clint Capella just because you can't, you know, send him lobs and he would be a a lane stuffer, I think his offensive rebounding would be exactly what they needed. So I think that's a fun argument to have. Yeah. And I mean, he is a really fascinating 
player. Uh, he spent a long time after his time with the Chicago Bulls, kind of bouncing around. Uh, he tried to play. So after after the uh, the last dance season, uh, he tried to play with the Lakers. Only played in 23 games. Uh, played actually in 12 games with the Steve Nash Dallas Mavericks. Only was able to make it through uh through 12 games there. So you know, not a not a great ending. And I mean, he I think as we saw from the documentary, I mean, he really benefited from his relationship with Phil. Really benefited from the structured environment with with Pippen and Rodman. So. We should talk a little bit about Phil Jackson. Something that I did not know, Pacheco, was he did not invent the triangle. The triangle was mm-hmm. not Phil Jackson's invention. I mean, maybe maybe that was common knowledge. Maybe most basketball fans knew that. I, I had just sort of assumed that the triangle was Phil Jackson's offensive philosophy. That is not the case, though. He, he was not the inventor. Tex Winter was the inventor of the triangle, who also was the coach of my Kansas State Wildcats, uh, their their men's basketball team, which I thought was cool. Yeah, I, I also didn't know that either. I thought he was the inventor all along. I didn't know he was being mentored uh, by Tex Winter to to be, you know, kind of uh, the next head coach. Um, and, and, of course, it ends up uh, that he is the next head coach of the Chicago Bulls and has, you know, incredible success, not just with the Chicago Bulls, but went on uh, to win multiple titles uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers. I also enjoyed uh, his episode. Of course, it's just, you know, he's the head coach. And then the other episode was Dennis Rodman, who's probably the, I don't know, maybe one of the craziest stories uh, in, in the league. So I enjoyed the Rodman episode more, but I, I thought the Phil Jackson one uh, was was really was really good as well. Yeah. Uh, what what were your thoughts on the on the Phil Jackson episode, Ricky? As a, as a Bulls fan, as someone who you know, I, I would I would assume holds him in very high regard. Yeah, definitely. But I will say, I don't think it was the triangle offense that made Michael Jordan. I think it was a coach willing to call plays for more than one player that helped Michael Jordan. Like they just needed, and Michael needed to see that Scottie Pippen could take some of the offensive workload. Like, Steve Kerr could be found for open three-pointers. Uh, there didn't need to be times where it was just Michael Jordan versus the world when you could find ways to get teammates involved. And if you find an open teammate and then the defense converges on him, all of a sudden Michael Jordan can get the ball back with space. So the triangle concept certainly enhanced the offense, but I don't think it was the only thing. Um, but Phil Jackson was a great coach for that team. I mean, Michael Jordan, you could see he wanted to win more than anything, but uh, Dennis Rodman was obviously a unique character, and you needed someone like Phil Jackson around him to just let him do his thing. Like, if you think about today's NBA, let's just think about coaches right now. How many people would say, you know, there are so many rules for all these players, but for you, you can go to Vegas for 48 hours. You can do your own thing. You could wear what you want. You could say what you want. Uh, Phil Jackson, there just wouldn't be any. I mean, just think of the Bulls coach right now, Jim Boylan. He sits there yelling with Zach Zach Levine throughout games. I mean, like, Levine can't stand him, and he's the superstar. Can you imagine Jim Boylan with Dennis Rodman? One of them would have to go after, like, three games. So just, like, his laid-back nature, uh, his togetherness, I think was was very welcome for that team and just opening up to Michael's mind that he didn't have to be number one on the offense, regardless of offensive scheme, I think was just a perfect, perfect mix. So uh, an interesting thing, I, I guess, was I, I, again, did not really know that Doug Collins was 
the coach that kind of helped the mythos of Michael Jordan. You know, Collins sort of argued for his position as why he was a good coach. And he said, okay, well, you know, uh, MJ won the MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. He won the dunk contest. He won the All-Star Game MVP. He won all of those accomplishments. And Collins was kind of saying, like, dude, Phil took my job. And we we would have won. Like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we would have won. And, and, and you know what? I, I don't... I think what Phil Jackson did with basketball in... His like with with the Knicks, I think he showed it was very hard for him to adapt, very hard for him to, you know, I mean, learn right because he had to relearn what he thought of basketball, and he did terrible. He was awful running the Knicks. He he basically got nothing right for mm-hmm. multiple years. I mean, well, other than drafting, he drafted Porzingis, right? Yes, yes. So he drafted was... Porzingis. He he got that right, but I would argue that. He drafted Porzingis and then immediately wanted to to make him a small forward. He wanted to to not use Porzingis for what he was best at. So I don't know. It, it, it was refreshing to see him at the peak of his powers in the documentary. But I Pacheco, I still think of Phil Jackson kind of as a cornball. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, and and I did think that Doug Doug Collins was a good. Uh, coach and, and it was really awesome to see him being in the documentary uh and you know his his style of coaching was just different but he also enabled players to be themselves which was obviously you know a really big deal um and I, it looks like michael jordan and him had a, a great uh relationship on and off the court so it, it really helped um it really helped them be successful. Uh, and it, it, you know, it looks like his offense was just give, give the ball to Michael Jordan, which I thought was uh, pretty interesting because that's the best way that you can, you know, you can, you can handle that offense. Um, I didn't think he was going to be part of that episode, but it was really cool to, to see him being a part of that episode. Do you, uh, do you want to defend Phil Jackson's legacy here, Ricky? Well, no, because I do think he was slow to adapt. I mean, he feels like the kind of guy that if he took over like the Golden State Warriors in their prime, he would have wanted a Dwight Howard playing center because he he needs like your traditional guy. Uh, He was a Luke Longley guy. He was a Shaq guy. He wanted to slow down offenses. And when the league sped up and it went to more three-point shooting, uh, I just don't think that he had it in him to change with all his success that he's had with all these teams, but he didn't have a Michael Jordan. He didn't have a Kobe Bryant. And I think that he thought that he could just develop this offense with whoever he had. And Christoph Porzingis wasn't his typical, you know, large center that he wanted. So he wanted to move him around instead of, you know, using him at center the way that the Mavericks have done. So Phil Jackson was amazing for the time that he coached. I mean, he came in the right era for Phil Jackson. The problem is he he didn't adjust. And we see that with a lot of people in all industries is when you hold on to something for too long, you inevitably start to fail, even if you were once great. And unfortunately, that's what happened with Phil Jackson. So I think he's, he's just a memorable figure, but he, his time has passed in basketball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I think that he probably had he he was having trouble making peace with that. It seems like now he's yeah. just out hanging out in Montana, fishing, you know, eating peyote, just doing doing whatever <laughs> Phil Jackson wants to do. You know, he's just having a good time out there in Montana. It seems like he also, you know, was enjoying having a good time making the documentary. It's probably I mean, I no one of us can imagine being as accomplished as Phil Jackson is and thinking back on like wow, we really won all these championships. We were really 
that great. And and so I imagine that for a lot of the people involved, it's been very fun to think back on uh, that time in their lives. So we are going to go ahead and head to break here real quick on the Daily Road Hour. When we get back, we are going to transition back to our 2020 NFL draft coverage and analysis. See you guys again here in a few minutes. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome back from break on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders and Christopher Pacheco. 
as we transition back to our 2020 NFL draft coverage. Uh, we already have ran through you know, a ton of our reactions to the big storylines. Jordan Love being selected by the Packers, uh, Jalen Hurts being selected by the Eagles, you know, some of uh, C.B. Lamb going to the Cowboys at 17, uh, some of those big storylines. But now we, we want to talk about some sleepers for fantasy football because a, I mean, a great way, obviously, to make profit in these leagues is not not to get value for your selections, but to get excess value for your selections. You know, imagine if you had selected Miles Austin or Victor Cruz with the fourth round of your rookie pick, and then they proceed to go on and be wide receiver ones for multiple years in fantasy football. That is that is really the surest way, not the easiest way, but the surest way to continually turn profits in these leagues. So identifying profiles of guys who are legitimate sleepers that you can find later on in your drafts um, is, uh, is you know, uh, it, we would encourage it, right? We would encourage you to draft some studs with your fourth, fifth, sixth round rookie picks. Um, Ricky, I got to say, most years I feel pretty strongly about a couple prospects who go late, you know, maybe small school guys. I think a couple things are keeping me from feeling super strongly. The first is this class was so stacked that no one was like really overdrafted or underdrafted, you know, like I, I think other than, other than your boy Van Jefferson, I think most of the wide receivers and most of the running backs were drafted at like pretty appropriate spots. I don't think anyone's fell too far. I don't think anyone was really a reach. So, you know, that kind of makes the fourth and fifth round more of guesswork than it would be a little bit normally. Uh, are you having any trouble of evaluating this class as a whole? So, first of all, Van Jefferson, not exactly my boy, uh, where I took him in one, <laughs> in one of our leagues, I just viewed as way too late for him. Uh, where did I take him in our auction league? It was at least in the fourth. I took him at 405 for a guy who was selected in the second round in the NFL draft. So, obviously, you know, people were down on the talent. Um, but in terms of, like, the fourth round this year, I know guys were drafted to spots that was likely fair. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones was a guy who fell farther than I thought he was. I mean, sixth-rounder compared to some of the fifth-rounders, I thought he was the more talented uh, if you look at them side by side. But I think because this draft was so loaded with receivers in general, like you can do some work in the fourth and fifth round of rookie drafts. And it just depends on your goal. Uh, if you have the goal of competing in the short term, I think there are guys that you could take specifically with that goal. Uh, and we'll talk about them. But I think someone like Van Jefferson, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Darnell Mooney, I think those are the guys that you would be taking there if that's your goal, guys who could earn some immediate roles. And I think there's ones where if you're just you know playing for the future and looking for a home run, uh, LaMichael Pirine, guy who could start for Le'Veon Bell after Bell's contract's up. Uh, someone like Jacob Eason, I think is a great draft pick there because they clearly drafted him hoping to groom him. And even potentially someone like Thaddeus Moss, who you look at that roster and the, and the tight ends they have, uh, there's just not that much there. So if he does anything, you would think he earns a role. So I think there are even different ways to approach this late with different talent types. And I don't think a lot of people look at it that way, but I think you should be. Pacheco, uh, what about you? Are you, is there, you know, some guys you're feeling really good about, or, you know, are you, you have a couple, a couple pet projects here, or are you, uh, you having, you know, trouble objectively finding some studs here? So I think Pirine late, is really interesting given what Ricky just mentioned. The fact that 
we could very well see him being the starter in New York uh, come year two, year three, a uh, guy that can catch passes as well. Um, so pretty va valuable if you can snatch that one late. Uh, and then there's there's also Tyler Johnson, who I, I think we, we should talk about. Um, from a production standpoint, you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a, a receiver that had better college production than this guy. I mean, he he really balled out in Minnesota, had two straight years, both his uh, junior and senior season, uh, catching double-digit touchdowns uh, and also had over a thousand receiving yards uh, as well. Um, so he was he was a stud for Minnesota. Uh, the challenge that I think happens with Tyler Johnson in Tampa Bay is do you ever see him potentially getting even wide receiver two volume? Because Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin aren't really going anywhere. So at best, I guess he could receive, you know, wide receiver three volume. And it's not that that's not valuable. It's just I I struggle with the volume upside for him even in the future. So that has me tempering expectations there, even though from a talent standpoint, he he's, it seemed to be a really home run pick by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. Um... So this is the thing about Tyler Johnson. He was great in college. 78 receptions, 1,069 yards, 12 touchdowns as a junior. 86 receptions, 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns as a senior. I mean, he was awesome. Um, the whole time, though, that he was going through the recruiting process, or mm -hmm. not the recruiting process, the draft process, we were sort of implicitly being told well, NFL teams don't like him that much, and mm -hmm. uh, he he measured in at 6'2", 206. So you were like, okay, that's uh, that's you know, good good boundary wide receiver size. And then he was like, you know what, I'm not going to run at the combine. And when a wide receiver who is that productive basically takes the risk of saying, okay, I'm not going to run at the combine, what they're telling you is they're telling you. I am slower than you can even imagine. Like, however uh -huh. slow you think I am, however slow you look at my tape and you think I'm that slow, I'm actually slower than that. And not only am I that slow, but I don't even think that if I spend a month doing nothing but losing weight and trying to get fast enough to run a 40 under 4.6, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. So that's a, that's a pretty big concern. Sure. Have there been slower wide receivers in the NFL to succeed? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that kind of the way that the big slot works. Now this is a, so it's not the same comparison, but Chase Claypool is like the exact opposite, right? He is like the, he is mm -hmm. like Megatron, right? He is an athletic freak, but he is going to play likely after Juju Smith-Schuster moves on or gets a little bit older. He is going to play in the slot in the NFL. That's actually his best position where you don't have to be quite as fast and you can kind of use your big body to shield right. defenders from getting to the spot. That's like what Tyler, jo Tyler Johnson should be early on. I mean, I, I took him at, I think, four, no, 501 in the quarantine auction rookie draft. I was like, you know what? We're, we're here. I am going to take, I'm going to take Tyler Johnson. Guy, guy, guys who produce that much are just really valuable prospects. But I mean, is, is Tyler Johnson going to beat out Scotty Miller and Justin Watson, Ricky? You know, I don't know. I say definitively no. I think Scotty Miller is the hmm. fit guy in a Brady system. I think yeah. that that you have 
a point with some of the bigger uh, slot guys. We've seen Cooper Cup be productive uh, out of the slot. We've seen actually we've seen that team just switch some guys that are bigger uh, into the slot. Basically, anyone they have have played slot for the Rams, so they're a good example just of all the types of receivers that can be used out of the slot. I just don't think he's needed early on. And you look at these contracts, like Godwin, they're going to lock in. And Mike Evans, they have locked in till 2024. Um, he has a dead cap number of $18 million in 2020. That drops to $5 million in 2021, $3.2 million in 2022. So you could start to see it. I guess 2023 would be the first year that you could like reasonably say, like, okay, they could probably get rid of this dude, even though it's still a $16 million cap hit. So realistically, if Mike Evans is producing, he's not leaving till 2024. Chris Godwin likely isn't leaving. Uh, I mean, where is Tyler Johnson going to fit in here? I guess, like, if Tyler Johnson does play in limited time and show he can be productive, there could be a trade in the near future. But right now with Tom Brady, you're playing to win now and you're not trying to develop a receiver when you've got just such a ridiculous core around him, even potentially multiple backs who can catch passes. So Tyler Johnson is a pure project if you are drafting this late, whereas I think if you're playing for this year, Darnell Mooney, a guy who is going to be used immediately in that Bears offense, would be someone that I would prefer over him. And I think uh, you took Tyler Johnson at 501. I took Mooney at 503. I strongly considered Mooney the pick before you you but I took Peoples Jones uh, and I think both those guys that I took are just so much safer in terms of the short term and being at worst their team's fourth receiver uh, I'm not even sure that's guaranteed for Tyler Johnson you know with Justin Watson there as well I think that's probably the case um, but I just don't think he's going to see more than like 30 targets in year one and even that might be a high number I have I have very bad news for you Ricky which is literally literally as we are recording this right now the Bears just signed Ted Ginn. Oh, I, I'm not concerned about that. You don't, really, you don't think? Well, I mean, at least, at least as a rookie, he will probably play over Darnell Mooney. I, I would imagine Ted Ginn is just about done with the NFL, though. Yeah, well, that's, so that was the thing. Is uh, Matt Nagy said in the comp? I posted that in our chat today. Is basically he said we have a bunch of guys, but Mooney is our speed guy. Uh, and the way he said it was like our offense is slow as hell. And this is our one speedster. So obviously, you know, Nagy wants these speed guys in his offense. Uh, if Ted Ginn's going there as well, he wants multiple guys so they could, you know, potentially have some downfield threats. They really have none right now. I mean, Miller and, and, and Allen Robinson are both possession guys. Tariq Cohn is small and not a guy that you're probably, you know, throwing way downfield. So they really do, if they want to run a Nagy-style offense, need those guys. I guess, you know, that's that could impede his progress. But I still feel pretty good about Mooney. Yeah, I mean, there are, there, you know, there are reasons to. There are reasons to be into him. So a lot of the guys that I like as sleepers this year are tight ends. And <laughs> there are a couple reasons for that. First is no one actually likes them. Like, these are guys going in the fourth and fifth round of rookie drafts because, you know, tight end is, these guys were drafted late. Uh, another reason is that, I think that the teams that drafted them actually really like them. Like, I think the Packers really like their guys. I think the Bears really like Cole Komet. You know, I think that the uh, uh, Patriots, obviously, like, I, I think that there is some there. And the guy who I wish he was a little bit cheaper is Albert O, who was, like, a huge touchdown producer at Missouri, mm -hmm. uh, amazing spark score guy, 
is not going to be the lead tight end, unfortunately, right away in Denver. You know, maybe they progress to like a Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz system eventually. But I mean, Albert O is going in like the third round of rookie drafts, Pacheco. So I, I really wish he was cheaper. I wish he was cheaper, too. I had this conversation with Ricky the other day. I thought I was going to nab him in, in the fourth. Uh, went to write in his name. Sorry, bud. He was already taken early in the third. I'm like, whoa. You know, it, we're looking at a, at a, a second tight end on a team, and he's being drafted this early. It, it you know, it, it shows a lot um, of, of confidence that people have on him. Uh, he really seems like a, a big athletic freak, too. So, um, I think he's, I think, you know, he's, it's, it's going to be difficult for him to find volume in that offense. Uh, but the volume that he does, and, and if it's near the red zone, he could, he could really benefit uh, from, from that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what type of fit and production we get uh, from him in Denver. I do think we should talk a little bit more about Thaddeus Moss uh, than we have. Um, he's going super late in rookie drafts or just not even being selected which I think might be a mistake. When you start to look at the tight end room for Washington, uh, Vernon Davis is retired. Jordan Reed uh, is moving on. He's no longer a Washington Redskin anymore. I mean, uh, it's it's bad, dude. It's, the, their, it's, their tight end group is. So So to your point, Jeremy Sprinkle, uh, he played last year. Richard Rodgers, yeah. formerly of the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Logan Thomas, former uh, Virginia Tech quarterback. Hale Hentages, who was with Indianapolis last year, couldn't get on the field when both Ebron and Jack Doyle were uh, were injured. Marcus Bow and Caleb Wilson. So, I I I mean, is if is Thaddeus Moss starting at tight end for them in Week Four, Pacheco? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe, and, and and he might not be an every down type of tight end, but I do think they're going to try to to get him on the field so he can catch some passes for them at that position. They just they literally don't have anyone. So, you know, do I love his his landing spot uh, with the Washington Redskins? No, because I, I don't really like the quarterback situation. I, I don't like a lot about his situation, but I do like the opportunity. And and honestly, that's. That goes a long way in fantasy football. If he's going to be a starting tight end and he's going this late in rookie drafts, I think uh, you should be taking advantage of that. Where are you at on Thaddeus Moss, Rick? Pacheco, what do you want for your pick in uh, the startup? Because that's who I'm waiting on. <laughs> I'm, oh, really? I'm, on, I'm on the Thaddeus Moss train. Uh, I took him in our auction draft. I do think he has a chance to start. I think there are some other talented tight ends down towards the bottom. I think Hunter Bryant is a guy who's in a similar situation to like Albert O, except he went undrafted. This was a guy who scouts talked about potentially being the best receiving tight end. He had dealt with some injury issues and he wasn't awfully productive, but he looks like, uh, like from the Evan Ingram school of tight ends and he kind of just landed in a bad spot. He was undrafted and was taken by the Detroit lions. But I think he's kind of a guy who, if you want a cheaper version of Albert O and you want like an upside guy, he's a guy you could be taken, but that is Moss. Yeah. Just because of how terrible their tight ends are. I think he's worth that shot. And like we mentioned, like he's going in the fifth round at that point, you look at the names around him and there just isn't much else. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think that is, uh, I think that's pretty fair. I, I also think that Jacob Eason, I would imagine that the Colts' plan is for him to be 
their starting quarterback next year. They signed Phillip Rivers to a one-year, $25 million deal. He is, if if not with one foot uh, out of the door, I, I would imagine it's even possible that we see Eason start some games this year. And I think in the super flex leagues that a lot of us play in, I mean, you just need to be drafting quarterbacks that have routes to starts, and and he definitely mm-hmm. does. Uh, one one other guy, uh, Quintus Cephas. I just I just want to go out on a limb and say, guys like Quintus Cephas, uh, these are these are the guys that you avoid, right? So they are the the route running technicians. I mean, Quintus Cephas even slower than Tyler Johnson. He he ran like a four seven five at uh, at the combine. So you know he's running he's running offensive lineman forty times at the wide receiver position. It long run that's uh, that's not going to be what you want. So we are here talking about some of our favorite late round sleepers on Sports Grid TV. This is Davis Maddock, Ricky Sanders, and Christopher Pacheco of the Daily Roto Hour. We are going to go ahead and head to break real quick. Uh, we're going to return. Maybe we'll have a little bit more of a conversation about some of these late-round prospects, and then we have to talk about just how weird the quarterback market has gone in the NFL the last few weeks. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
the Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. All right, everyone, welcome back from break here on the Daily Roto Hour on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders and Christopher Pacheco. We are running through some of the day three NFL draft selections who whose names you're going to need to know over the next couple of years in fantasy football. And I actually think that there's a nice little collision here between the day three of the 2020 NFL draft and why the quarterback market got screwed up so much. Because there were guys, Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm, James Morgan from Florida International, uh, you know, a couple other guys who, you know, I think in most years would have been considered third round picks. You know, maybe we see Eason go in the late second round. I know that, you know, one of the really exploitable things out there in the betting markets was uh, Jalen Hurts to be drafted. Like Jalen Hurts was expected to be drafted after Jacob Eason. And I, you know, we haven't heard any reporting on Eason having bad medicals or, or bad interviews or anything. So Pacheco, I, I think we are at a just a uniquely weird time in NFL history with quarterback values. And I don't know if we will ever have another offseason like this where backup quarterbacks aren't getting paid. Quarterbacks are, are falling in the draft. I, I think it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting, too. And you made the point before we started uh, this segment uh, that, that you mentioned, you know, any other year you would have seen Jacob Eason being drafted much, much earlier uh, than he was this season. Uh, and it, it just so happens that he was drafted late. Uh, same with Jake Fromm. I mean, these are the type of guys that you you just – it always happens where they get drafted in the third round somehow in the NFL draft, even though they weren't really like great college players or anything like that. Not that they didn't have good college production, but you, you get my point. Um, seeing Jameis Winston make less than, what, $2 million – uh, to be a, a backup quarterback is kind of insane. I know that the guy just threw 30 interceptions, but he also threw for 30 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards. Like, how is he not a just a starter right now for some of these teams that clearly need a starting quarterback uh, is beyond me. You, you're right. It is a very weird uh, offseason on the NFL, specifically with quarterbacks. Yeah, so like um, I, I think that uh, one of the I mean the funniest storyline in the NFL right now is that Jameis Winston throws thirty interceptions in a season and then has LASIK surgery that off season. <laughs> like this is not something that's out of like an Adam Sandler movie. Like it's literally like it's not even it's not even funny. That's how funny it is. Like it's it, it seems like a a written bit from a movie. Yeah, and I wanted Jameis Winston to get a starting job knowing that he could see now and see it like the transition from pre-LASIK to post-LASIK Jameis Winston. But realistically, I think there's just a transition in the NFL that people and organizations are now starting to view quarterbacks kind of like we view dynasty running backs that like if you're not a Christian McCaffrey or Ezekiel Elliott, you're just a guy. 
And that, I think, is is how the NFL views quarterbacks now, both in the draft and via free agency, is like, if you're not a superstar that I could take with one of the top 10 picks, you're just another guy. Like, you may or may not work out. There are some, like those second rounders, who you could potentially use as a gadget quarterback in the short term. And if they turn out to be anything, they could be your quarterback in the future. They find themselves in a tier of their own. But these pocket quarterbacks who had potential and didn't turn out to be like the first round guys we thought they were, I think they're going to continue to fall because teams just don't have a need for them. Like you could find a backup if you absolutely need one via free agency, as we see with like the Andy Daltons, the Cam Newtons, or you could just wait till the fifth, sixth round of the NFL uh, draft and just take a guy. And you know, if your quarterback goes down, you're very likely doomed uh, unless you're the Eagles of a few years ago. So I just don't think there's a high priority on backup quarterbacks anymore and I, I think it's honestly kind of warranted because if you're not like a a perennial superstar you're you're just a guy well so the thing that I would disagree about that is is if you are a good team so if you are mm-hmm. the Dallas Cowboys if you are the Kansas City Chiefs if you are the San Francisco 49ers I would say you actually should invest some extra money some extra draft capital etc in a backup quarterback because, you know, if your left tackle gets hurt, if your starting safety gets hurt, your running back gets hurt, your best wide receiver gets hurt, yeah, that's going to suck and you're going to have to work harder as coaches and as an organization to figure out how to plan around that weakness. If Dak gets hurt, if Carson Wentz gets hurt, Jimmy G gets hurt, you're, you're suddenly looking at being like, oh, well, we think we can win the Super Bowl this year to, okay, well, do we change our minds and just tank out for the rest of the year? Like, So I, I, I think it's, it's sort of interesting that maybe bad teams have no incentive anymore because there are so many quarterbacks like like uh like the the Bengals for instance like what like even say they didn't get Joe Burrow what would be their incentive to pay Andy Dalton starting quarterback money instead of just being like oh yeah we'll take Jake Fromm we'll take Anthony Danucci who is a guy I didn't even know existed until the Cowboys drafted him with the seventh (laughs) overall with the seventh pick or with a pick in the seventh round Mm -hmm. um but I think I think backup quarterbacks for good teams I I would Mm -hmm. argue that these teams are making an error by not making sure that they have good backups well the thing is if it's going to be a scenario where the few the best few go in the first round some you know some of the leftovers go in the second and you can wait for basically anyone else which is a top 10 you know college quarterback at that point in like the fifth round why would you be investing in some of these free agents like it actually makes John Gruden look that much more insane for paying Marcus Mariota over seven million when he could have had he could have just used a fourth round pick on Jacob Eason and called it a day I mean I don't know I don't understand how uh, a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers don't get on the phone and and do something about their backup quarterback situation. They just their season got completely derailed last year because Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. Uh, we've seen we've seen multiple examples of this. How about when Carson? I mean, Wentz yeah, that went was down? that was a Super Bowl caliber Steelers roster that had F minus quarterback play all year. And and I mean it's enough that it derails your entire season. The same thing happened to the Eagles. I'm not sure they make a legitimate Super Bowl run with Carson Wentz, but like I, I, they were right there. And all of a sudden Wentz goes down, they have to start, you know, a third stringer, someone that, that shouldn't even be at the NFL uh, at that point in, in his career, Josh McGowan, and that derails their season. So to, to your point, Davis, it, these teams that have good rosters uh, and have, you know, a capable slash good quarterback, but have no one at, at backup, 
uh, is really an error in my mind, too. Yeah, I mean, it just it really it seems bizarre to me. Right. It just it seems weird that, uh, you know, Marcus Mariota is getting like half a starter's money. Like, I think he was seven and a half million dollars per year guaranteed. Yeah. And like, you know what? I mean, whatever. Like, I don't think Marcus Mariota is bad. Uh, yeah. I don't think I don't think he's great either. But like Jameis it got Jameis is getting paid less money than A.J. McCarron. Uh Cam Newton is an unsigned free agent. Even like I would rather have Andy Dalton as my backup quarterback mm-hmm. than than Mariota for sure. Pacheco. Yeah, I I, I would too. I, I would not have any problem with with Dalton as a backup. He has experience at the NFL level. I know he wasn't great at Cincinnati, but but also let's face it, it's not like he had you know the the best situation either. If you put Andy Dalton in New England, maybe we're talking about an entirely different story. Uh, I'm I, he just got released by the Bengals today and. To, to be fair, too, some of these uh, teams have really difficult cap situations, so I can understand it from that perspective that they're hamstrung a little bit by their by their the current cap situation. But I, I don't I still don't understand how Pittsburgh does don't have a, like a, a quality backup quarterback, because really, given their experience last season, they should get on the phone and, and talk to at least some of these guys. I know they were in the market for Jameis Winston and the Saints just just beat them out. It seems like. Uh, Winston was going to make more money with the Steelers, but decided to sign sign with the Saints just because of their their uh, obviously their current context. Um, but in, in any regard, the Steelers should be in the market for a, at least a quality backup quarterback. Can't imagine Cam Newton being a very great fit in Pittsburgh, but uh, yeah, I mean, why? Well, I don't know what the Steelers are doing. Cordell Stewart, I think it would be a throwback. you know that's true. That's true. I guess I guess I was just kind of thinking that Ben clashes with everyone, right? Ben, yeah. like Ben um, hated uh, when they like they took Mason Rudolph kind of early. People forget they took Mason Rudolph with a third round pick, so like you know, not not a throwaway pick on Mason Rudolph. And Ben was like mad about it. I can't imagine him being happy about them signing uh, a former MVP. I, I, but, but I mean, maybe Ben is a little bit chiller in his old age. I don't know. I don't know. He just kind of seems like one of those like narcissist dudes that Eric Ebron's like best friends with him because he says nice things about him. So maybe that's all it is. You bring in a free agent. If he says a nice thing about Ben in the early going, I think they could get along, but I don't understand this writing off Andy Dalton thing. And like, I think he should be a backup somewhere and he will be a very good backup. Like Cincinnati had a bottom three offensive line last year. No AJ green. Like he was throwing under pressure to Tyler Boyd and basically no one else. And like, look at those tight ends, CJ Zoma. I mean, he, this dude just had no chance. Drew Sample was the backup. It was just like a pure blocker. Like yeah. you put him in a system where he has to, you know, fill in and he's got, you know, an average to above average offensive line and average to above average targets. I think he is one of those like Nick Foles dudes who could, you know, if you had momentum, could keep it going in the right scenario. So I agree with you. Like you look at Marcus Mariota in his same scenario, he gets benched. Ryan Tannehill takes Mm -hmm. over and just like soars. Like you could see there are other guys that would have done much better in a similar scenario who aren't like elite, elite talents. I don't think you could have put hardly anyone into that Bengals situation last year and expected massive numbers. I was going to mention that uh, situation, Ricky, that the one you just mentioned with Ryan Tannehill coming in for Marcus Mariota. I mean, it can swing your season on a positive note uh, as well. He, Tennessee had lost momentum. They really weren't even in the playoff picture once Ryan Tannehill was inserted into the starting lineup. 
but he was the backup. He goes into the starting lineup, and all of a sudden, you know, they were smashing teams, uh, including going into the playoffs and beating both New England and Baltimore uh, on the road. So th- there are clear examples of if you have a quality backup, all of a sudden your starter is struggling. You can insert the backup, and he can have success right away. Yeah, I, I think that is – I think that's probably fair. I mean, I, I think the, the most likely scenario now, Pacheco – Andy Dalton is going to be the quarterback of your fight in New England Patriots in 2020. How, how does that make you feel? Uh, listen, it makes me feel significantly better knowing that Andy Dalton would be a Patriot than potentially seeing some Brian Hoyer snaps at quarterback. I mean, talk about a guy that's done. I mean, there's no way he should be the backup quarterback of the New England Patriots. It, it, give at least Dalton you know, some money and, and make him your backup. If Stidham is if Stidham is really ultimately their guy, at least have a quality backup. So if he just fails, you know, Dalton can step in and at least be productive. Yeah, I mean I, I think that I think that's fair. There's no there is no reason in a year where Cam Newton is on uh, uh when Cam Newton is a free agent, Andy Dalton is a free agent, Jameis Winston is a free agent, Jacob Eason went in the fourth round, Jake Fromm went in the fifth round. Um I I mean, you know what? I would even rather have former XFL quarterback Tyree Jackson, who played for the Buffalo Bulls. Not the Buffalo Bills, <laughs> the Buffalo Bulls. Uh, that's the that's the college there. I would I would literally rather have him on my roster than Brian Hoyer. Because I, I think that so like my my theory has always been you should actually use that third quarterback spot. Every, every team has a third quarterback spot, right? Yeah. Um every team should use that in a productive way as opposed to holding AJ McCarron. And I mean, you guys know that the the quarterbacks for the Dallas Cowboys the last few years, their backup quarterbacks are like mm-hmm. Cooper Rush, who is not good at Central Michigan. Uh, yeah. Clayton Thorson for Northwestern was on an NFL roster last year. Like, what? Like, why are why are you using roster spots on these guys who like physically they look like NFL quarterbacks, right? They're they're tall, they're they're white, they're they got strong arms, but they'll right. never ever ever be capable of playing. Like, don't use the roster position that way. Yeah, but there's, I, I mean, so from the other perspective, I wonder if part of the reason that Cam Newton hasn't been signed is because of his pride and the fact that he sure. thinks he's worth so many millions and he thinks he's worth the starting spot. So teams have been like, look, you could be a perfect backup for someone like Dak Prescott. And he's been like, A, that's not enough money, and B, I want to be a starter, and he's just holding out potentially till the middle of the season till someone gets hurt and they realize their backup isn't adequate. And then Cam Newton could be that guy. Like I think the player's perspective is part of what's holding some of these guys back from accepting those roles, even though inevitably, I think that's all Cam Newton has left is being a backup. Man. Ah, oh, don't say that to me. Really. Where, where's he going? <laughs> I mean, if it's not new England, he's got no prayer. Uh, I mean, he, he is going to be a backup. I mean, and actually, yeah. I think this is even the further thing. If he doesn't find a starting job soon, right? If he doesn't find, if he doesn't sign mm-hmm. this year, is is he just done? If he if he if he says I'm not signing to be a backup, have, have we seen the like, was that Tuesday night or Thursday night game against the Buccaneers the last we were going to see of Cam Newton Pacheco? Uh, my guess is is yes. He he really at this point he needs to accept the backup role and then at some point he's gonna get some starts he just kind of has to suck it up but if he's not willing to do that uh, given his off field issues and just 
teams don't really seem to like him that much. I, I think it might have been the last last time we saw him. Yeah. It's that shoulder. It was the shoulder. I don't necessarily think it, they teams would be able to put up with everything else if he had throwing accuracy whatsoever, and that shoulder kind of messed it up. So I think Cam Newton probably looks at this like, if I don't sign with the team, I'll end up on NFL on Fox or NFL on SportsGrid or wherever, and he'll be happy with that. He seems like that kind of dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think he would hate, you know, just uh, getting checks for a year. And, I mean, Jason, Jason Wynn did it, right? Yeah. You know, he, he, he took a year off. He, he, made him, he, got, he made himself some money. And, uh, you know, now, like, yeah, I, 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 w- I would love to see Cam on TV. I think he'd be great on TV. He's one of the most charismatic uh, and, and funny guys, although I hate the way he types. Nothing, nothing worse <laughs> than reading Cam Newton Instagram posts. I mean, it is, it is just absurd. It's, uh, it's horrible. What's worse, that or Pacheco's loud keyboard? Uh, Pacheco's loud keyboard, thankfully, we have worked diligently to solve that issue. Uh, Pacheco's, Pacheco's loud keyboard in the middle of like trying to talk to someone else on a show when you're like, you know, you're trying, or maybe you're trying to do a trade on a show or something, and you just hear the mechanical clanging. Uh, not, not great, not great. But uh, the Cam Newton web dings also not very great. So I, I am very interested to see where he signs. I'm interested to see where Andy Dalton signs. Uh, I hope my boy Jameis gets some starts in New Orleans this year, especially because a lot of my fantasy rosters uh, are gonna are gonna be able to you know, use that. So everyone, thank you very much for watching and listening to the Daily Roto Hour with Davis Maddock, Christopher Pacheco, and Ricky Sanders. We will continue our discussions later this week with even more sports talk show content for you guys. And uh, everyone, enjoy your week. Talk to you soon. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. We rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.